Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. I didn't know all the stories about my grandpa until after he had died. Uh, my grandpa, I knew, had served in World War II and Korea and Vietnam, but I didn't know how much of a warrior he was until um, at, at his funeral, where his sons, my uncles, who are also in the military, uh, would tell me some of the stories that grandpa had revealed to them when they were exchanging war stories. Here's what I knew of my grandpa. When I was growing up, my earliest remember of him, memory of him is he was a youth minister and he was doing gospel magic for children, teaching them about Jesus Christ. He made puppets with his wife for the ministry and these were like uh, Jim Henson style puppets. They they had moving parts and mouths and they were fluffy and big. Uh, it was just incredible. This was the grandpa I knew and yet he was a warrior. In World War II, he served in the Pacific, uh, in the Pacific theater. And, uh, one story of his, um, he is colorblind. He was colorblind. Um, and when he was, he was a scout for his, his group and he was walking along and he could tell because there was something about his colorblindness. The Japanese had, uh, set up five machine gun bunkers and they had covered their bunkers with fake leaves. Everybody else in his group saw the leaves as leaves, but something about his colorblindness made them look like plastic to him. And he was able to take out all five machine gun bunkers by himself. He won an, uh, a medal for that. He was a, he, I mean, he was a warrior's warrior. I, and I had no idea. In Ephesians chapter six that we're going to study today, We've been studying about our identity in Christ and how God wants our eyes open to who we are in Him. And once we know our identity, we know what we're supposed to do. In Ephesians 6, God calls us to be warriors of the gospel. He calls us to an advanced identity that maybe we haven't considered before. But we need to have our eyes open to what is true about us in Christ so that we can push back the spiritual forces of darkness using the equipment God gives us. For our passage today, I'm at, I ask Marissa Eckley and Teresa McCann to read out from the Princess Ministry, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and listen to the equipment, the spiritual equipment God wants us to use to fight the spiritual battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and its mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against evil's schemes, de oh, devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rollers against the authorities yeah. and against the powers of the this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms right um, therefore therefore put on the four the full 
armor suit of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firmer firm then waste with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god And, and pray in the Spirit in all occasions. Okay. Oh, occasions, sorry. With all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Before we move on further, let's give them a round of applause for reading. Thank you. I love how the Princess Ministry is helping us read our scripture for the morning. And, and when we finish with everybody in the Princess Ministry getting their turn to read, uh, well, I'm going to come for you and ask one of you to read. So don't be surprised if I come for you. Um, in that passage they read, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, there were seven pieces of equipment that God is telling us to put on as our armor of God to fight a spiritual battle against the forces of darkness. We probably won't get through all seven today, but that's okay. Uh, come back next week. Be here online next week, and we will finish it up. We might make it through three or four today. It depends on how long-winded the preacher is. But I want to uh, not forget where we have been. Don't forget where we have been. In Ephesians 1, it talks about the salvation Christ gives us, and that gives us a new identity in Him. He reminds us in Ephesians 1 that we are chosen by God. We are adopted into his family. We are redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've been forgiven of our sins and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that uh, personal, individual salvation is so beautiful that gives us this new identity in Christ that we must live in, and it's personal but not private. In chapter 2, Paul reminds us that with this new adoption, we are now citizens in the new kingdom of God. If we got passports right now, they would say citizens of heaven, and we're just visiting as dual citizens of the United States. And we're part of the body of the of of Christ. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're members of the household of God. And as members of the household of God, we all have a role to play inside God's household. And we are being built together as a temple built together. That's one of the key 
key phrases in chapter 2, built together as a temple for the Holy Spirit. It is together as the church, we operate as God's people. And we must not, must not try to make ourselves isolated in this spiritual battle that He is calling us to and this identity He's giving us. We must continue to work together. I was on a phone call um, just just this past week with someone who was threatening me to leave our church. <laughs> and um, and uh, this person said, well, you must get really mad when people leave your church. I said, I get so mad. I'll get mad if somebody dies and leaves the church. But I've learned, I've learned that what I do is I preach to a parade. People come and go all the time. Some people do go on to their reward in heaven and they leave the church. Some people get new jobs and they have to go to another church. Some people uh, can learn for a season here and they grow in their faith and then they go and they help somebody else grow in their faith. And so this threat did not hurt my feelings, um, but I got to tell them about why it makes us upset when somebody doesn't attend or somebody doesn't belong anymore as the household of God. We all have this role to play and we all take care of each other. And anytime somebody in the family is injured or hurt or leaves, the whole family suffers. And I got to explain why we love people coming together and gathering for the name of Jesus Christ. I got to explain why it's important to continue to love and serve one another and why this person is not threatening me. They're hurting the body of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. It's personal, but it's not private. It's corporate together. And Paul explains, you know, when you know who you are in Jesus, it explains what you're supposed to do. And in chapters 3, 4, and 5, he lays out these household rules, this code of conduct for the household, where we're supposed to push back the forces of evil using our gospel, the good news of our unity, that we're together under Christ. We're supposed to grow each other up in the faith where we become mature, chapter four. And then he says, and we're gonna get even more specific. Here's how husbands are supposed to act. Here's how wives are supposed to act. Here's how children are supposed to act. And in Paul's day, he turned the Greco-Roman world upside down when he said, even slaves and masters need to remember that their true master is Jesus Christ. And in the household of God, we're all his slaves. But in chapter six, He gives us, He opens our eyes, He makes it clear that we have this new identity in Jesus Christ as a spiritual warrior. In chapter 6, He equips us to do battle. And not against people. Not against uh, people we don't like. Not against political enemies. He doesn't say do battle as the world does battle. He says know that our true battle is against the spiritual forces of evil. It's against the darkness that is in our world. And our world is dark. And it will be until Jesus comes back. That's why we are called in our identity to be the light of the world. We take the battle to the evil one. And I think it would be easier sometimes if God would just say, do it with the weapons of the world like my grandpa did in World War II. But that is not what he calls us to do. He calls us to use spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle because that is our real enemy. And he lays out seven, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. That is what we will be equipped with to do our spiritual battle. As we focus on this equipment, this armor of God, Please be in prayer about which piece of armor you need to strengthen in your spiritual battle. 
Which piece of armor is God calling you to use in this spiritual battle? Which piece of armor is God calling you in the household of God to help somebody else with because that piece in their equipment, their armor, is dented or hurt or missing? There is a reason why Paul uses these terms. It's a metaphor, um, and but sometimes the metaphor is stretched. But listen, truth, righteousness, gospel, peace, faith, salvation, sword of spirit, which is the word of God, which is the gospel, um, and prayer are essential for our spiritual battle. Let's start with truth. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Most Most often when I've heard about this armor of God, I've been given the metaphor of a Roman centurion's armor, and I think that's a good metaphor. And I think when Paul's day, people would have been aware of that armor, but Paul was a Pharisee from uh, of Pharisees. He was born a Hebrew. He was an Israelite person, and he had memorized all the Old Testament. And every single one of these pieces of armor can be found in the Old Testament as the armor, the actual armor God uses. If you could imagine not a Roman centurion's armor, but armor that Jesus Christ fitted himself with as he came to earth and lived, it would give us a picture of how we're supposed to continue to put on Christ as we go about living for God. It's not necessarily just the Roman centurion armor, but the actual, when Paul says, put on the armor of God, actual armor that God himself tells us in the Bible that he put on. In Isaiah chapter 11, God's people... Israel had turned their back on the light and chosen to live in darkness, spurning the truth and living for a lie. Yet God promised he would send a messianic figure, a Messiah from the line of David to deliver them. And this coming king would wear in Isaiah chapter 11, a belt of righteousness around his waist or faithfulness. Sometimes it was translated, that word in Hebrew is translated as truth. The people of Israel living in darkness, turning from the truth and living out a lie. Have you noticed that anywhere in our culture today? Turning from truth and living in a lie and then increasing the pressure on you to join with them and live in the lie. Well, how do we fight this? We don't fight it by killing people. We fight it with truth. The truth from God's word. We fight it with the truth that is buckled around our waist, that holds our whole armor kit together. But this is the same truth that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he said he comes in grace and truth. And he only spoke what is true, and we are called to speak what is true. And when we speak what is true, we help people recognize what reality really is. We help people recognize the claims and falsehoods of this world and Satan And we need to live and speak into true reality. And the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. In fact, 2 Corinthians says, we fight with divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought for Jesus Christ. In the book, Hidden Worldviews, Eight Cultural Stories That Shape Our Lives, Steve Wilkins and Mark Sanford lay out eight areas our culture is trying to lie to us. I want to tell you about those eight areas so you can start thinking about how you're going to respond with truth, capital T. 
In our culture, there is this idea that truth is relative, that we can't know what is universally good. It's called moral relativism. That's one of the, one of the cultural lies they say. Your truth and my truth, but that is not true. That is a lie that our world is trying to live by. And so when we take the gospel of Jesus and we take the word of God, we are introducing them to what is reality, and that is true. Individualism is this huge lie that the church embraces, that I am the center of the universe. Have you known anybody in your life that says, I am the center of my universe? Have you met anybody in the church that does it? This is what the world teaches And we get to teach in that story of Jesus that we actually belong to one another and we're not the center, but God is the center and we follow him. That's counteracting the spiritual world of darkness with truth. Consumerism, the story that I am what I own. And then Jesus comes along and he says, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. Nationalism, the story that my nation is God's nation. I love the United States. One of my few regrets in life is that I didn't serve in our military. But there is no nation on this world that is truly God's nation. That doesn't happen until the second coming of Jesus Christ when he establishes his kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. In the meantime, because we are citizens of heaven, our passports say we build a colony here in the United States and we share the truth with others and we pray for our nation to be healthy and whole so it will go well with us. And we try and we try to persuade all men to come to the truth of Jesus Christ. Scientific naturalism, the story that all that matters is matter. Well, that's not true. There is a spiritual realm, and the spiritual realm is connected to the physical, and the things that go on in the physical realm affect the spiritual realm, and the things that go on in the spiritual realm affect the physical realm. And we need to teach this by teaching the truth of Scripture. New age is a a lie that we are all gods. In the story of Adam and Eve, that was the lie that Satan told them. If you eat of that tree, you will become like God. And, they're, and they, they blew it. And we've been repeating that sin ever since. We're made in the image of God. We're already like God. And we're supposed to go serve in his, under his authority and rule and have dominion over the earth. But we always do that under his authority and under his command. We are made in his image, but we're not supposed to be our own gods. And we keep repeating that lie over and over again, and the gospel of truth counteracts it. This is one you'll love. Postmodern tribalism, the story that all that matters is what my small group thinks. If you've been on Facebook or Twitter, you've joined in on postmodern tribalism because uh, Facebook has this neat way of canceling out anybody who agrees with you so you don't even see what they say, and you only hear what you're going to agree with. In Facebook talk, is called an echo chamber. On my Facebook, I basically only hear the people who are going to agree with me. And that builds up the lie of individualism. And it builds up this lie that only I, what I say is right or true. There's, <laughs> and yet I still use it. <laughs> and yet I'm still there. I'm still on Facebook. There's this great meme going around right now. Uh, where uh, Obama is talking to Biden and Obama says, hey, did you take the high road like I told you to? And Biden says back, no, I just told him to shut up. And so, you know, that's in our echo chamber. That's in our echo chamber. But what would have happened? What would have happened if we could have our presidential candidates remember that everybody is made 
in the image of God. And we are designed to spread his kingdom and fight spiritual forces of darkness, not each other physically. Wouldn't the debates have been a little bit different if either one of them had decided to treat the other one with respect? Would have been different. Now, if you are on Facebook or Twitter, you're only going to hear one side of wherever you stand politically. But God calls us to truth. And truth can unite us to treat each other in the image of God, the image bearers of God that we're made to be. Truth can unite us that we recognize that we don't fight our political enemies in the physical world. We fight them in the spiritual world through prayer. We fight them in the spiritual world with truth. It would be easier if we could use the battle tactics of this world, but that is not what God has called us to do. God has called us to get on our knees and pray. I can speak for myself, and I'm just going to assume some of you are like me. I've talked a lot more about coronavirus and politics than I have about Jesus Christ. I need to rearrange that. And I need to bring people truth. And I need to have truth envelop me and hold my whole life together so I can start making a difference and push back the spiritual forces of darkness. Then Paul moves us to the breastplate of righteousness. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says, God Himself wears righteousness as a breastplate so that God can enact justice and righteousness in a world that has abandoned it. Part of God's mission, and He invites us to be His ambassadors to serve under Him, is to be His spiritual aid warriors to work for righteousness and justice for God's honor and the right treatment of people made in His image. This righteousness is part of this new identity God has given us as His warriors. And we're summoned to respond to this call to bring justice for others. That means our eyes need to be open where we can tell where people are suffering and then we move to help them. We shouldn't be doing this alone either. We should be doing it with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we go out and we try to ease the suffering of others, giving them the name of Jesus as we do it. In our church office, we used to hand out uh, Kroger gift cards. Uh, when someone would come in and they say they would need help, they needed food. And we found out from Sugar Tree, which is a ministry our, our church supports that feeds people. We found out that uh, some, not all, but some people were selling those gift cards for drugs, 50 cents on the dollar. It was actually a pretty good deal. $25 gift card because you $15 worth of drugs. But we, so we stopped handing out gift cards and we started handing out peanut butter and bread. And we never give out cash. And we can tell we use wisdom because we're working together. We don't do this alone. We use wisdom. And we can tell who people are hungry and people who want to scam us. Because the people who want to scam us for drug money, when they come in and they say they're really hungry and we say we have peanut butter and bread for you, they get mad, cuss us, and leave. But the people who are hungry, because we keep the loaves of bread frozen and the peanut butter in jars, unopened jars, the people who are hungry, they open that bag of bread and they take out frozen slices of bread, they wipe it with peanut butter, and they eat it before they leave. We really do have people hurting in our community. But as a spiritual warrior bent on justice for others, our eyes are supposed to be open to where they're hurting and we're supposed to move in and be the light in the darkness to help somebody ease their suffering in the name of Jesus for the name of righteousness so that they can come to faith. 
you know and I know that certain parts of the months you're going to go to Kroger's and there's going to be somebody waiting there on the corner of McDonald's holding up a sign that says, I need money. The days that you know that's going to happen, you need to go ahead and prepare a sandwich, put it in a Ziploc bag, put it under your car. It's because you don't want to be fooled. You want to use wisdom. And when, they, when you pull up next to them, you can help them. You can roll down your window and give them a sandwich. Don't give them money. Don't give them cash. Because you don't know. We don't have a relationship with them, but you can start easing the suffering. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is about. Doing the justice of God. But remember, as much as we help in the physical, it's really a spiritual battle. We need to get down on our knees and pray that we start interacting more in the physical world, but we brace ourselves in the spiritual world with strength that only God can give. There is a push in our community right now. I don't know if you're aware of it. Our church... I don't think would support this. There's a push to get rid of Sugar Tree Ministry. Not get rid of it completely, but to move it out of downtown and put it where so nobody can see it. Because there are business people in our community who have had some stuff stolen, and in their minds, if they can get rid of homeless people out of sight, out of mind, then they won't have any more problems business-wise ever. That is not what we're called to do. We're not called to put people out of sight, out of mind. We're called to go into their communities and give them hope. When you hear business people talk about that in our community, you need to stand up for what is right and true and say, we shouldn't push them out, but we should help them. Let's find resources and ways to go give them hope. Righteousness is something we need to walk around with And as part of our spiritual war and spiritual battle, we are called to fight. And then we have the gospel of peace. And this is where we'll end today, but we're going to spend a lot of time here. Verse 15, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In Isaiah 52, 7, there is a herald, a proclamation, someone who is bringing a message You can imagine the old Robin Hood cartoon where they come and say, hear ye, hear ye, it's a message from the king. And they unroll the scroll and everybody gathers around to meet the messenger. That is what the feet fitted with the gospel is representing. In Isaiah 52, when the good news shows up, the city celebrates. Isaiah declares that the divine warrior would not come, and he's talking about the divine warrior, Jesus Christ. He says the first time the divine warrior comes, he doesn't come as a wrathful judge. Instead, he comes as a redeemer to give salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is what we're called to do as well when we fit our feet with the gospel of peace. If you, if you go with the Roman sandals, you can imagine the warrior needs to not worry about what he's going to step in when he goes into battle or what he's going to step on to injure himself so he can stay with the company to defend it. But if we're talking about Isaiah here, we're talking about a messenger who needs sturdy shoes to go as fast as they can and as far as they can, taking the good news everywhere they can. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Ephesians 6, Isaiah 52, and Nahum 1 are the passages in the Bible where the words feet, good news, and peace all come together. And if Paul is thinking about Isaiah 52, then we have to be thinking about that as our spiritual armor ready to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, how ready are our feet to tell the good news of Jesus. 
I think sometimes we're not ready because we haven't been trained properly to tell the good news. I remember me growing up, the, the whole point of telling the good news was to get somebody baptized as fast as possible and then find somebody else to be baptized as fast as possible. That is not the complete picture of the good news. It's not less than that, but it is so much more than that. And when we just give out facts, a lot of times the facts don't stick. They're not even good for planting seeds of faith, but stories stick. And everywhere in the book of Acts, when the apostles would begin telling the good news of Jesus Christ, they would connect Jesus to the story of Jesus because stories stick. Why is Jesus called the anointed one? And why is Jesus called the king? Those are the things the apostles would talk about when they went to spread the good news. We can start with the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve made in the image of God who are supposed to rule in place of God under God's authority, and yet they broke that relationship with rebellion. And so we need someone who can rescue us to be a complete, perfect image bearer of God and never sin. And Moses, when he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and he went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. We've heard this story. And down at the foot of the mountain, the people of Israel had created a golden calf because it was a God they could control. And they were just repeating the same sin of Adam and Eve, wanting to be their own gods in control. And God said, Moses, I'm going to wipe out Israel and start over with you. And Moses stood there and reminded God that God is a gracious God, full of compassion, slow to anger, with loyal love for thousands of generations. Don't wipe them out so His name would be praised. Then Moses became the one mediator. And this theme in the Bible came up that we need one person to come and mediate our relationship with God. And then Israel, the nation, asked for a king. And the prophet Samuel said, you don't want a king, you need to let God be your king. And the nation said, no, we want a king we can see and feel We want to be like the other nations. And God relented and gave them a king. And it didn't go as well as they thought it would. And it wasn't very many kings at all in the nation of Israel's history that actually followed God. But there was one king who was after God's own heart. And there became a theme that we need one person to be our king. To give us the law and uphold the law. To give us justice and uphold justice. And to give us salvation. And so Jesus is the anointed one of Israel. He is the image bearer of God who never sinned and He came to rescue us. He is the mediator between us and God to give us peace. And He is our one true King who tells us how to live and how to go out and spread how to live with the good news. That's the story of Jesus. And isn't it captivating? It's so much more real when we tell those stories. And we don't end there. And we tell the anointed one of Israel who is our king. We need to talk about why he's king. And we need to do that before we talk about he's being savior. If you have to do one or the other, do king and then savior, not savior and king, because he isn't. if he isn't king of your life, we can question whether he has saved your soul. But if he's king of your life, he will save your soul too. And we need to talk about how Jesus came, never sinned, was our king, and then he died. He sacrificed himself to pay the punishment we owed. He died on the cross. He gave up his own life of his own will. And then he was given the power to raise himself from the dead three days later to prove that the resurrection of an eternal life is true for us as well. That we can be saved from sin and from Satan and even our own rebellion. This story we need to tell, we need to have our feet ready with the gospel to take this wherever we go. 
And you don't need to memorize a list of facts. You just need to memorize the stories. And stories are easy to memorize because they stick. And we need to have this conversation so much more than we need to have the conversation about politics or COVID. We need to have this conversation with our family and our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students. We need to have this conversation with other church members because when we share the gospel, we give hope and peace and we remind each other of righteousness and we remind each other of truth. How ready are your feet to give the good news? When's the last time that you gave the good news of Jesus Christ that He came to earth at the appointed time He died and was buried and He rose again three days later. He appeared to the other apostles and He appeared to everyone. And He is going to come back. He is going to come back and the next time He's not going to come back with redeeming salvation, He's going to come back in judgment. And all those who are in Jesus will be taken with Him to a new kingdom, a new earth where He rules forever and there is no sorrow, there is no no sin, there's only joy forever. And all those not in Jesus will be cast aside into darkness where the flame never ceases and the burning never ceases out of the relationship with God forever. How many times have we told that story recently? Because that is what our identity is in Christ. Spiritual warriors who share this story everywhere they go. How fast, how far, and how often can we share that story of Jesus Christ? Remember, we belong to a king who has called us to be His warriors in spiritual battle. That's our identity. And that identity, knowing who we are, reveals what we're supposed to do. That's where we're going to stop today. We made it through three. We have four more to go. Make sure you come back next week. Make sure you connect us with us online. Same bat channel, same bat time. Right? Before we go, though, we want to make sure that when we gather together, we follow the command of our King to participate and remember His sacrifice through communion. Would you get out your communion cups? And at home, would you get out your communion, your bread and your fruit of the vine? You know, every time, I love this, every time we participate in communion, we proclaim the gospel just like heralds of peace He have called us to do. The bread is His body. The fruit of the vine is His blood. It is a perfect picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's also a way to push back the spiritual darkness with truth. His body, broken on the cross, absorbing the wounds that we were owed, helps us to be healed. Would you participate in the bread? Would you take the cup? The cup does remind us of God's justice. He said He will not leave any one sin unpunished. And the cup reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for our sin and our sin was punished in Jesus' Christ's death. This is the Gospel in a little cellophane pack. And we proclaim it until He comes again. Would you participate in the cup? If you'll allow me to, I'll pray for us. 
And then I'll offer the invitation and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise You and thank You that You sent Jesus Christ with truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace. Lord, would You help us to embrace that as part of our identity when, as we put on Christ and lay aside our worldliness and our own bodies more and more often, sacrificing ourselves so that we can embrace what Jesus has called us to do. Would you allow us to live as your spiritual warriors as we go back into our community, back home to our families, back into our workplaces, back to our schools? Would you allow us to remember we are not fighting other people, but we are pushing back the spiritual forces of darkness and Satan's schemes just by giving peace and hope and justice and truth? Lord, would you open up our eyes to see where people are suffering and then give us the courage to act. And would you allow us not have to do that alone, but raise up more workers. Lord, even in this room, would you put it on the hearts of the mind and minds of the people in this room and the people who are listening to the sound of my voice over the internet, that you are calling them, summoning them to be part of the kingdom and part of the work. Would you raise up workers where we can't avoid working for you because that is our new identity and our new calling. And Lord, would you protect us? Protect us as we give those words of peace. Protect our hearts and our souls so that we can trust that no matter what happens here on earth, our future is guaranteed in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we offer the invitation before we leave today, I want to make sure that you know what we're inviting you to be a part of. In the ancient world, heralds of peace there was this code of honor that when the messenger showed up, you didn't kill the messenger. You didn't injure the messenger. There was respect between other nations because if you killed the messenger, it was an act of war. And Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 6 telling us we need to be ready, feet fitted with the Gospel. He wrote that in chains. They had hurt God's messenger. When Jesus showed up to give the good news, they killed God's messenger. If you're signing up to be part of the kingdom of God and you are called to be a warrior for God and you are called to give out the gospel of peace, don't you know the world is going to treat you just like it treated His messenger, Jesus Christ? You need to be prepared to suffer casualties in the name of the King. You need to be prepared because our world is turning quickly against all those who offer the peace and truth of Jesus Christ. But it is an honorable calling and very much worth our while. The invitation to you today, maybe you need to repent of a lifestyle that is against God and not worthy of one of the warriors of Christ and come back to the way. Maybe you need to embrace the gospel message that Jesus has given us. And we need to be buried into His death and raised by faith to a new life that only He can give in baptism. Maybe you need to be a part of this community of believers because you no longer want to be a warrior alone and isolated, but you want to be part of a community that will help support you and grow you and mature you in faith so that you can be even stronger to go out with your groups to offer justice to the world. And if you're online and you want to make a decision, would you fill out a Connect card from our webpage? We want to help you take your next best step in Jesus. And then we want to give you your marching orders straight from the Word of God. 
where you can go out and be God's warrior, bringing the gospel of peace everywhere you go. If you want to make a decision today, would you find me? Would you let us know online? And we'll set up an appointment to help you take your next best step. I'll be at the door on the way out, masked up, ready to make an appointment with you. Would you please stand and I'll offer a blessing in the name of the Lord. God, would you cover us with grace? All the places we failed you, we need your mercy. All the places that we have done right, cover us with grace because we need your mercy even there as well. And would you give us the grace of courage to be your spiritual warrior as we leave this place and then surround us with other Christians, other Christ followers, so that we don't do it alone. All the while remembering you are with us, especially especially we can feel it when we put on the full armor of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Please go in peace. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.